I think everything just come together. It's just time to go. And uh, I really enjoyed it here. I love Indianapolis. Love living here. It's a great city. I think we got the right guy to take over, and uh, it's just to me, it's just the right time. What do you say to someone who has absolutely given you the opportunity of a lifetime? I think you have to be bold in this position. You know, I want to be aggressive that way. Hello and welcome. This is another Sideline Guys podcast. I'm Pat Boylan, Pacers radio host and sideline reporter. Jeremiah Johnson, TV host and sideline reporter, is with us. When we last discussed, the Pacers were in the middle of the first round series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Since then, a whole lot has happened and we have plenty of different things to break down. And we will just start with The most recent news, J.J., it's Larry Bird deciding to step down. Kevin Pritchard, who has been under his wings for a while and been in a top role in the NBA before, will take his spot. Let's start with Larry Bird. He came to this franchise as a coach 20 years ago and has been here for the majority of it and seen plenty of good moments. Tons of Indiana's best moments as a franchise have come with him at some sort of power. And, uh, you know, maybe a little bit surprising. We've known that, you know, Larry Bird is on a year-to-year type of deal lately. Uh, You look back at his body of work and where the Pacers have been since he took over as a head coach, and you talk about a lot of the Pacers' best moments as a franchise. Yeah, you think about Larry Bird, you think about Indiana basketball, you think about Springs Valley High School and Indiana State, and obviously his professional playing career was spent in Boston, but I I did appreciate, and I know this from listening to Larry on Monday and also just knowing when he came back to the franchise what it meant to him to be back with the Pacers, and he is synonymous with basketball in Indiana. And I think that was the one thing I maybe thought of that I was a little you know, disappointed, maybe a little bit even sad, I guess, would be an appropriate reaction when I heard the news, at least reported from Woj on Friday, that Larry was going to step down. Is I thought that, you know, it was Larry's ultimate goal to, as his final basketball deed or act almost, to bring Indiana a championship with the Pacers. And he is someone who's always been so honest about how disappointed he still is about that Uh, College National Championship game, the Michigan State victory over Indiana State, and how close he was able to come to getting an Indiana school a championship and getting him that championship. So I guess I was disappointed when I first thought about him stepping away and that it wasn't able to uh, happen while he was as president of basketball operations. But it is good to know and to hear that he is still going to stay on as a consultant. And you know with the relationship that he has with Kevin Pritchard that they will be working together a little bit, and it won't be maybe as much as they did, obviously, in the past, and maybe his consultant role will be a little bit more in scouting than it will be in personnel evaluation. Well, that's a little bit of scouting as well, but he won't be talking to Kevin Pritchard as much, but while he said during the press conference he didn't want to step on Kevin's toes, I think Kevin will be gladly uh, taking any advice and input and interactions he can get with Larry Bird, and they were very close, and, and Kevin is very appreciative of Larry for everything he has done for him and, and now for this opportunity that Kevin has. And I guess that's the only thing that I thought was disappointing about Monday was Larry makes his announcement, and he kind of says what he was thinking about, you know, wanted to step away for a little bit and spend more time with his family, and the questions immediately start about the future of the franchise and Paul George, and I think based on a season that maybe went a little bit, finished a little bit below some 
expectations and I think Larry's expectations. I don't think he had a grand plan, even though he said the goal was to get to the playoffs. The, the plan, I don't think, was to get the seventh seed and get swept in the first round. So when you lose in the playoffs earlier than, than many had hoped for, there's always going to be some uh, disappointment. And somebody, you know, fans, and in this era with social media, people are always going to want change, and they're going to be disappointed, and they're going to point out all the flaws. But if you think about what Larry Bird has meant to this franchise, starting as head coach, and then in all of these years as in the front office, I think you have to pay tribute to Larry and think about some of the things that he has been able to accomplish, not just as a coach, but then, you know, especially highlighted by those Eastern Conference finals appearances earlier this past decade. And and before you just continue to move on, you really have to pay tribute. And I almost feel like it, he just deserves a round of applause because some are going to be frustrated by different decisions. Nobody bats a thousand in that position. There are always going to be mistakes. There are always going to be things that people wish they could do, uh, have back. But for someone that comes from a playing career and then went to become a coach and then went to become a front, front office uh, personnel and executive, uh, it's amazing what he's accomplished. And I think we should should pay tribute to that. No, I totally agree. You look at just his basketball career. It's not ending today. He's staying on as a scout and in somewhat of a consultant role, and I think he will go through a year of that, he said, and, and kind of determine what he wants to do if he wants to stay in that role and how to go further on in his career. You just think about it. He was college player of the year, Naismith player of the year. He won an MVP. He won coach of the year. He won executive of the year. He was the coach that finally got the Pacers you know, over the hump into the NBA Finals. He helped put together those early 2000s teams that were legitimate title contenders and going to Eastern Conference Championships. And then a cycle through, and he gets them back in that position with the help of others, of course. Uh, but, you know, the, the teams that went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals and only LeBron James was in the way of those teams. And, and it's really remarkable what he was able to do in really less than 20 years. It's been about a 20-year span. He took a couple of years off between coaching and coming back and then took the one year off uh, with his help, or with his health, I, sh- I should say. But you also look recently as as a drafter. You mentioned nobody bats a 1,000. In fact, in the draft, where the Pacers are drafting, and one thing that's Oh, that irritates me a little bit about Twitter is the people that will look and say, oh, you know, the Draymond Green thing happened. Well, first of all, every team passed on Draymond Green. Even the Warriors passed on Draymond Green. And second of all, look at what the Pacers have hit and under Larry Bird in the draft in the spots that they were drafting at. You talk about Paul George. You talk about Miles Turner. You talk about getting a guy like George Hill, who was pivotal to making those Eastern Conference Finals runs, and they're doing that from the 10s and into the teens. You talk about Roy Hibbert. You talk about Danny Granger. Those are all all all-star or to-be all-star players, and none of them came from those top five picks. Like, you look at the picks that Larry Bird was making, and he outdrafted teams like Sacramento, who was almost universally during a lot of that time picking in the top 10 and also in the top five. I think his draft record from where Indiana has been drafting is sterling. It's like a guy hitting 350 and then complaining that he's getting out, you know, more often than he's getting a hit. The amount of times Larry Bird has hit in the draft, especially recently, is really remarkable. And yeah, no one no one bats a thousand. But I, I think he's he's left the Pacers and, and he's not leaving, but he's put Kevin Pritchard in a good spot. There's pieces around. You've got 
you know, an, an all-star, multiple all-star type player, and, and hopefully an all-NBA player in, in Paul George. You've got Miles Turner, a bright young player, and you've got some pieces here. And uh, I don't know if, if you had any final thoughts to wrap up on him. It, it's really remarkable. I think we get, and, and Twitter does this, and just the day and age does this, we get so focused on, you know, the micro aspects of things when you take a step back and you look at what Larry Bird has done and I'm just talking about post playing career his playing career speaks for itself but even his coaching and his executive career it really is remarkable and as we led this a good chunk of the Pacers best moments as a franchise have come with Larry Bird in some major role yeah and I can remember back to a couple of uh, press releases when it was announced that uh, the, the Pacers were going to have a press conference. And I think it was when before Larry Bird decided to come back into the front office and it was billed as a press conference of national significance. And when you put that on a release, you're trying to get a little media attention. And think about this is and I thought it was interesting during the uh, press conference that Kevin Pritchard said, I don't like to refer to us as a small market. We're a market. But when you have the Indiana Pacers having high-profile names and people like Larry Bird attaching themselves to you, it just adds credibility to your franchise, and it helps you so much. And think about everything he has meant to this franchise over the last 20 years, and I think you just have to um, pay tribute to him and hope that also you are uh, you know, able to, while he's still on as a consultant, you're still able to do some things and, and have him still be a part of it, and then you invite him down onto the floor when the Larry O'Brien uh, trophy is handed over because he, you know he would be a big part of that. So the obvious other side to this coin, and, and it's a situation where you know the Pacers, I think, have, have done it the right way in that you've had Larry Bird in this prominent role for a long time, but you've been able to put pieces behind him and a succession plan. And you know maybe no one knew exactly the time frame that Larry Bird would remain in a role that he has, but it's been clear that once Kevin Pritchard came here, and you're talking about uh, Peter Dinwiddie, who's been with this organization for a long time, recently uh, a 40-under-40 40 40 nominee, they have had a succession plan in place for a long time. You're talking about Kevin Pritchard, a guy who's been at the top role already before in the NBA. That's really remarkable, I think, to have a guy who has the credentials that he does and to be able to just have him waiting in the wings, learning under Larry Bird, doing a lot of the legwork, and then back in this position. We'll break down some of the things he did with Portland, but your initial reactions to both his initial press conference, you got to talk to him one-on-one, as did I as part of your uh, live live coverage on Fox Sports Indiana, and then we heard some of the other interviews on the radio. Uh, Kevin Pritchard has probably talked for like three or four hours over the last couple of days now. Your initial impressions? Well, one of the things when Kevin Pritchard was the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers is you kind of heard a lot from him. He was someone who was open and honest and someone a little bit in the media when he had his position. And I think that's something that I looked forward to over the last you know few years, being able to talk to him in different opportunities. But he was always very careful in that he did not want to speak for Larry because ultimately Larry Bird was making the decisions and Kevin Pritchard was basically assisting Larry. So he didn't want to go on um, the television, the the Pacers live pregame too many times and talk, although he was able to do it on occasion in the last couple of years. Uh, but he didn't want to speak for Larry. And now that he is in charge and he is making the final decision, I do think we will hear from Kevin a little bit more. And I thought that he did knock the press conference 
out of the park. I enjoyed hearing what he had to say about his basketball heritage and growing up in Indiana and idolizing Billy Keller. And he's also someone who, I I tweeted this at the time, I don't think there's anyone that is more prepared for this opportunity than Kevin Pritchard, given where he grew up, given the experience that he has in this league. He already has basically been a decision maker with the Portland Trailblazers. And then he knows everything there is to know about this franchise based upon the last five or six years working under Larry Bird, working with Donnie Walsh, being a part of the front office that um, has brought Paul George to the Pacers. So Paul George is the big topic right now amongst the media members and amongst fans, and deservedly so. But I think Kevin Pritchard is someone who is in a perfect position to move this franchise forward because of his knowledge. And I just, you know, I wrote down some of the different things that he said, and he sat down and said the seat feels like it's getting a little hot. But he understands the pressure, and he, I think, relishes the pressure. And I also liked what he said about um, something he learned from Larry about he wants guys to play tough, be unselfish, and play the right way. And I think he understands maybe some of the um, maybe if there's been some decisions they'd like to have back or maybe some of the errors of the last couple seasons, they need to, when in doubt, go with a tougher, uh, more, uh, you know, just a tougher-minded, intense player. And that's something he'll be doing moving forward. I, I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was very positive. I think he's open and honest. And I even some of the other interviews that he's done in the, in the time since that press conference, it really showed the passion that he has for the position. And I think he's in a good spot to succeed. When you look back at his time in Portland, which he had this same role, president of basketball operations, or essentially whatever they were calling it there, he was the head man in Portland. And you look at this team that he had built in 2008-2009. They were uh, a few years earlier coming off the, the Jailblazers era, and they had a couple of tough seasons after that, and Pritchard was tasked with rebuilding it. And I, and I, I pull up this 2008-2009 roster, which he was able to rebuild really quickly. Now, if you follow the NBA closely, you know what I'm about to say, but if you don't, uh, it, it might be fascinating to learn the team he was able to put together, and he did this so quickly And just what this team could have been really is mind-boggling because I think he put together a championship team that just had so many injury issues that it wasn't able to achieve anywhere near its potential. But those issues weren't guys being bust. This isn't, you know, uh, Anthony Bennett being picked with the number one pick who was just a bust. Uh, This is guys who got hurt and while you know you can look for red flags when guys come out of college so much of this is a guessing game here's a team that the Portland Trailblazers put on the floor in 2008 and 2009 Brandon Roy a guard who averaged 23 points per game now he obviously had huge knee issues and that caused him to retire way before he should have in fact uh, he could still be playing if he didn't have knee in, uh, those knee injuries LaMarcus Aldridge we know what he is one of the league's premier bigs now on San Antonio probably the number two piece there so he has Roy as a guard he has LaMarcus Aldridge right behind him and then he is Greg Oden. So let's say that Greg Oden doesn't have these injury problems. And and I'm, by the way, for me, and, and we're a little biased because Oden is from Indiana, I think even if you know what Kevin Durant ends up being, you still take Oden in that situation because he was the best prospect since LeBron James. He was the clear-cut number one guy, even in a draft, 
that had uh, a guy as good as Kevin Durant. You've got Greg Oden. Imagine if he's, let's just say, Anthony Davis, which, by the way, is below the potential of what Greg Oden could be. But just for argument's sake and health's sake, let's say Greg Oden is Anthony Davis. All of a sudden, you've got Brandon Roy, one of the league's premier wings, LaMarcus Aldridge, at 23, one of the premier bigs, you've got Greg Oden, who would have been the best big probably in the NBA, and then you've got another guy at age 20, by the way, Roy is 24 this season, Aldridge is 23, Oden is 21, and Nicholas Batum at age 20 is also a part of this team. I mean, that core, if if that core stays healthy, that core is going to Western Conference Finals, probably going to NBA Finals, that is a dominant core of four players. He's put together in his past a roster and done it very quickly and in a market smaller than Indianapolis's that could contend for titles. It fell apart because of things that were out of Kevin Pritchard's and all of these players' control. But when you go back and really look at what he did, he took some chances, they paid off, and Indiana's not in a position where you know they need to take a lot of chances right now. They've got a more stable group than what Pritchard was trying to rebuild. But when you go back and look at this at a closer view, it's really impressive what he did in Portland, and I think gives a lot of promise. He's been learning under Larry Bird for five, six years. It really gives a lot of promise, I think, for, for what could be going forward here. I think you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. And there are so many hits that he's had as Portland's general manager. And he's done such a good job, I think, uh, for the most part in helping Larry Bird. And one of the things that I think is interesting is whenever you see him or whenever he's at a shoot around, he has that phone connected to his ear or he's talking to someone. He's very well connected around the NBA. And uh, Larry Bird obviously connected as well, but I'm not sure that he's talking and throwing out ideas and maybe bouncing things and trades off of people maybe as much as Kevin is. And that was probably Kevin's job and his position at as the general manager. But I think that you may see more wheeling and dealing. And obviously during the drafts, Portland was known to move up a picker here or there if there's a player they liked or move down and get multiple picks. So it should make the draft a little more fascinating as well in some of the off seasons. But I do think that he said something else. And you think about the wheeling and dealing and the trades – he does think that there's something to, to be said for continuity. And so we've seen over the last two seasons, um, not 50% of the roster, but we've seen um, about, you know, right about half where guys Close, return yeah. and guys, new guys coming in. And every year that's difficult to, to change the roster over that much and to get some chemistry and to get some consistency. So it'll be his job right now to really determine which guys are foundation pieces that you want to keep moving forward. Uh, But I don't think it'll be blow it up because I think he understands the teams that have been successful, they're able to put something together and and have some chemistry that builds over time. So, um, yeah, everything that Kevin said, I enjoyed hearing. I thought he did a great job, and I know he's busy working around the clock right now in a very important time for the franchise to um, you know, get some commitments and to, to make some deals and see what happens. I think one thing we know, the potential for draft night to get extremely interesting is even higher. Larry Bird was always, you know, willing to wheel and deal that pick. But Kevin Pritchard, there's a phrase that I think we'll, we'll keep out of the podcast, but is, is well known to Pritchard's uh, ability to steal good trades from teams on draft day. Uh, that's always in the equation. Draft day could be interesting. He made one other, as we close here on this, one other interesting comment on a radio show that I hadn't really considered, but 
also, you know, kind of tells you the big picture view that he's able to come up with. He, he made a comment that sometimes in free agency, when other teams zig, you need to zag. And what he was referencing was the deals last offseason. You saw so many players, and in this specific instance, he didn't bring up these players, but the, the players that were brought up were guys um, like Jan Mahinmi and Solomon Hill. Two guys I know you agree with. We both really like what they brought on the floor uh, and what they brought to the locker room. Both good defensive players. They weren't able to bring those guys back because they got monster deals. And Pritchard was talking about, you know, we would have liked to have these guys back, but if there's not value coming with it, you're going to handicap yourself for years down the road. And he made an interesting point, which was, you see guys getting deals like this. You know, Hill is locked into four years. Mahimi's locked into four years. While all, a lot of teams have zigged, if you will, the Pacers perhaps are choosing to zag. And that might mean two, three years down the road, guys are able to, you know, be had during free agency at a more valuable rate because all these teams overspent on the front end and they're locked into bad contracts where the Pacers don't really have that so much. That was a really interesting take, um, you know, kind of in the mind of how a GM, how a president thinks. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think there's no reason, no matter which direction this franchise goes, and, you know, we can hit a little bit on Paul George here and, and, and what we do know and what we can say, uh, but no matter what direction this franchise goes, I, I think you've got the right guy to replace somebody who has done all of those things that Larry Bird has done. When I reference continuity and consistency, I was talking about on the court, but I think it's important in the front office as well. And so if you would have not had Kevin Pritchard take over and you would have brought in someone from the outside, all the work that you've done and all the planning that you've done in the last three years, you would almost be starting over. And I think this is not a team or a franchise that is in a, that is in a position that they, they don't need to do that right now. And so while not every move made last offseason may be on paper, some of those maybe look like some, some contracts maybe you wish you didn't have or maybe they weren't as impact of players as you would have liked, some of those moves were made with an eye on this upcoming offseason. And you heard what Larry Bird said. He said, after looking at next year's budget, I almost wanted to stay. I mean, Larry's not going to say that if that's not true. And so that, to me, is a perfect sign that Herb Simon and the front office had already agreed long ago that last offseason, if the player they wanted or they wanted to spend max dollars on a player, if that person wasn't there, then you sign some lower contracts. And, and there were really no such thing as low contracts last offseason because of the way the salary cap jumped, but you save some room and some flexibility for perhaps this offseason. And so maybe the Pacers will be in a position to spend more. And I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether they will go into the luxury tax or whether they will spend enough money to be competitive. I think it's pretty clear when Paul George says, how do we get back, that it's the mission and the goal of the front office right now, knowing that Paul George is under contract for next season to do everything possible to make this team competitive and as good as it can possibly be so Paul has a good feeling about getting back that was pretty much what he said to Kevin Pritchard about in his in his exit interviews how do we get back how do we get back to the Eastern Conference Finals and you get to the Eastern Conference Finals and and you never know what happens at that point and maybe you like to hope at some point LeBron James would eventually slow down and and help things out a little bit in the East but you want to get to a position where you're not having to play him or a team like Toronto in the first round and so um, this everyone knows they don't need us to tell them that this is a very very important offseason but 
having Kevin Pritchard in the fold, I think is perfect because he's already been thinking about this. He knows what the plans are and he can quickly, you know, basically that press conference ended about 11.30, 11.45 on Monday morning. And, and after maybe a couple of radio interviews, I'm guessing by one o'clock, he had a bite to eat and he was beginning to continue. He was, wasn't beginning to work. He was continuing his work on the off season plan. So I think, I think everything is, is pretty good in that, um, in that realm. And I think it's, you know, you have to just see what happens over the next. There won't be a lot to talk about necessarily over the next week or two. The Paul George All NBA news will be the next probably big piece of news to break, I think, and and that'll help the Pacers if he is able to be third team All NBA. Because if at that point he and his agent decide that's that's all the incentive they need, and they trust the team to also with him signing that contract, that super max extension, that they will get the players in place, then everything can kind of fall into line, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you fix this because I do like the thing, the new thing in this collective bargaining agreement where teams, you know, have an extra tool to throw at keeping their own guys. But it, isn't it wild that you've got, you know, some guy who, and I don't want to say some guy. These are obviously well-established writers, reporters down the line. But it's just wild to think that potentially some reporter over on the West Coast who goes to Golden State games and Clippers games and Lakers games and maybe happens to catch the Pacers once when they're there, um, you know, this could be really close with Paul George. And it's just wild to think that some of those guys might determine the immediate, the longer term future of the franchise. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, something that's been talked quite a bit about around NBA Twitter and NBA podcasts. And I guess uh, to borrow the old uh, line, I guess I heard it used a lot from Dwight Freeney a lot back in the day, but I don't think he invented it. It is, it is what it is. So uh, the media members have a lot of responsibility, uh, but I'm not sure what the other solution would be because you can't Agreed. give everyone a super max opportunity. You want to make it someone who is deemed a franchise player because if you would make a lower or a lesser requirement of someone to qualify, then you force a franchise sometimes to almost – give a super max type of contract to someone that maybe doesn't deserve it or would right, hamper the right. franchise a little bit. So you have to find, you know, for this little wrinkle in the CBA to benefit the teams to keep their hometown players, you have to find a way to do it as, you know, neutral as possible. And with, I guess at this point, some of the NBA media members, I, I know a lot of them that get votes and I think they all, accept that responsibility and take it very seriously. And that's pretty much all you can ask for. And if he makes it, I think he'll have earned it. And if he misses it just barely, I don't think it'll be a sign that the system was broken or flawed. It'll just, he's that close right now based on the season he had. And, you know, no one talks about this. It would be risky maybe for the franchise to go to this point next season and not have a commitment from Paul. But I think there's a pretty good chance if he starts next season the way he finished this season and, and has some consistency and stays injury-free, it'd be a no-doubter that he'd be All-NBA next year, and, and then uh, you'd be back in that position where you could offer that contract. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that so much of it is an unknown. For example, most of Paul's numbers this year are, were slightly up off, off the previous year where he did make it, but there's so many other guys who entered the fold. Jimmy Butler had a great season. Gordon Hayward had a great season. Giannis Adetokounmpo kind of came out of nowhere and took his first big leap. And, you know, that's the wild card in all of this is you don't know exactly how the guys around you are going to play. And it's not like you say, you know, Paul, you need to reach 23 points and six rebounds and four assists to get this contract. It's it's kind of a moving target he's trying to hit. And we'll see if he hits it. Kevin Pritchard did confirm 
that they will know before the draft, which is, you know, a, a big piece for the GMs because, you know, typically this was announced earlier and now it's going to be an award show where they announce a lot of these awards, but some of them are vital for going into the draft. And Kevin Pritchard at least does know he'll have that at his helm. And, you know, to kind of close on this, Pritchard made the point, Kevin, uh, that he and Paul talked for probably 45 minutes in exit interviews. And every scenario, according to Pritchard, uh, with George was with him coming back. And, you know, if you're in Paul's position and if you are, to quote some other people, hell-bent on doing something else, you don't spend 45 minutes doing that. We obviously have no clue what's going to happen. You and I, uh, we, we, we don't know. But Nor do we, we really don't... try to know. You know, sometimes people ask me what I know. Right. And, you know, that's not necessarily either one of our jobs it's or responsibilities. Jobs. We're not in the breaking news business. We uh, report the news that's there for the particular broadcast, and we talk about our thoughts maybe on the podcast. But uh, we're not trying to figure out and get inside the walls and break the stories. So sometimes I think fans maybe get a little disappointed with that, and unfortunately – uh, that's kind of not what we're doing. No, totally agree. So we'll see. Some interesting time will come up. We're going to keep, I, I think, going with this podcast during the off season. We're not going to do it weekly um, because often there's not a whole lot of new information to talk about. But with, with any NBA off season, you're going to have the draft. Draft workouts will be sooner rather than later. You know, where do the Pacers potentially look for their draft pick, free agency? So we'll be coming to you throughout the off season. It'll little be a, a little bit less frequently than weekly during the year. But I think it's something uh, that you agree we want to keep up with this podcast. Keep it going. Keep some material coming out. I know if you're starved for NBA news, it's a little bit tougher of a time uh, right now. But uh, we're going to try to keep this podcast going. So we wanted to hit on the immediate news first. But let's take a look back here at the season, at the uh, playoff series against Cleveland. Let's touch uh, quickly on that. Four games where they had a chance in each of them, but weren't able to take any of them. And I, I think a lot of that, um, while the Pacers have a pretty veteran team and a lot of guys who have played a lot of playoff minutes, you're going against a team you know that has LeBron James who's played in more playoff minutes than almost anyone. He's climbing up that charts even in NBA history. He's played in so many minutes. And you know, in a game where there's, you know, so, so so little can make such a big difference in those key moments, I thought that was the big difference. Just a little bit more experience on Cleveland's end. And obviously, all those games are very different. Uh, but that might have been the common denominator. If you're Indiana, and we talked to a couple of the players after the season, they definitely take some momentum from the fact that, you know, they were right there with Cleveland, but ultimately this is a results business. And, and I, I know there was a lot of disappointment on being swept as well. Yeah. Think about game three and that's much like last off season. I think everyone had game five in Toronto as that game that just was really um, kind of made you upset in your stomach to think about because you think about what could have been if the Pacers had won that game and come home and, and been able to finish the Raptors off in six. And I think game three, a little bit similar, although you win game three, you're still going to have to face an angry Cavs team in game four. And uh, you know the series would be extended. I don't think, though, winning game three would have necessarily put the Pacers in the driver's seat to win that series. But in that game in particular, it's crazy to me, the more I even think about it, uh, with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving on the bench in the fourth quarter, what the Cavs were able to do. But that was probably one of the best coaching moves of the series was uh, Teron Lue doing that because it just meant LeBron had the ball in his hands that much more. And he pretty much knew, no matter who was going to guard him, even though you know at 
at times when Paul's guarding him, Paul did a pretty good job, but they would they would do some switching and some some picks and they would get matchups they liked and then he would attack the basket and he knew he was going to score. And when he didn't score, then the referees helped him out. And I'm not going to spend any more time about the referees. But uh, <laughs> uh, LeBron was the best player in the series and that's why the Cavs swept it. But it does it is disappointing to think the four games combined were decided by a total of 16 points and you were unable to get any one of those. So uh, I've kind of, it, it feels like to me as we tape this or record this on Wednesday, 10 days after the season, and it feels like more like a month ago. It, it, so much has happened in that, you know, week and a half or uh week and three days. Uh, it, it, it's, people will remember it for a while, but it does seem like it was a long time ago. All right, so let's look now at what is typically our pick three, which was, uh, you know, the the genesis of the idea came from you and around uh, your love of horse racing. And uh, by the way, happy Derby be, week, everyone! Yeah, yeah, we got the the Derby coming up uh, May sixth, right? So just this weekend, you got you got to be like, uh, you love this, I think, more than maybe anybody I know. This is this is your time of the year to shine outside of the NBA season. I do wish uh, that we were still in the NBA playoffs, and I was uh, covering a second round playoff series. But once the disappointment of the season ending, um, once I get over that, then I do have you know, this to look forward to. And I've gone to the Kentucky Oaks. I think this may be 15 out of that is 17 years. And I am staying for the Derby. I don't like the Derby weather forecast. Um, I'm disappointed about that, but maybe it will change. And I plan to hit a couple of pick threes. I probably will not play a pick six because they were very <laughs> difficult to hit, even though the rewards of hitting one are very lucrative. But for the purpose of this podcast, I thought we should add a few uh, observations and make it a pick six and we'll make it our pick six memories uh favorite memories from this past season and i guess i'll let you go first pat yeah we uh i wanted to do this in a way that you know for the for the road games you travel i do the road broadcast from our studio so while i'm watching these games on the road happen on television your guys uh, fox sports indiana feed am doing the broadcast, but not necessarily there in the moment. So in some ways, I wanted to section this a little bit to give some of the better road moments of the season to you because you were there to better capture the environment and better capture the moment. Um, so mine are going to stay more here in Indianapolis for the games that I was at. And I'm not necessarily ranking these in order. Uh, I've actually think I've ranked them in order of the date that they happened. But I'm going to start with the Thaddeus Young game winner with under a second to go. This was against the Washington Wizards. And at the time, if you remember, Washington got off to an awful start. I think they were like 3-9. and nine, But at this point, they were 12-14. and 14. So this was really in the start of the rise of the Wizards. And the Pacers had a significant lead in this game uh, going, let's see, after three quarters, uh, they were up by 10 points and then nearly gave it away. And Thaddeus Young comes in, a, a little bit of a broken play, I think. But what you liked about this play was he catches the ball kind of the top of the key. He's able to get around his man, and he immediately attacked the basket. He didn't try to pull up for a three. He didn't shoot a fadeaway. He didn't have a lot of time to do a whole lot of those things. He just got the ball, and his instinct was to take him to the rim. And uh, in terms of a last-second game winner at home this season – that was probably the big moment, and 
you know and I know in this in these situations when the Pacers win uh, we get the walk-off interviews you take somebody for television I take somebody for radio and so we have them plan but oftentimes that'll change last second when a guy hits a last second shot so you know in in my scenario I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat ready to run out onto the court if necessary after a game winner but knowing also that if he doesn't hit the shot the game is going to overtime and then we got to wait and I got to put my headset back on and and do five more minutes of the radio broadcast so it's always kind of a kind of a, a, a quick moment for me in these scenarios because I do the walk-off interviews on a wireless mic I do the radio broadcast on a headset and so I'm trying to jumble in between the two things and be ready for one thing and be ready for another all while you know raucous crowd and all of that and so these are the moments that Solomon Hill game winner a couple of years ago sticks out as well uh Thaddeus Young my first of our pick six his game winner over the Wizards with less than a second to play you referenced it was great to see him attack the basket and that was an important win in really what was a good month for the Pacers as they were trying to you know they were still back and forth the entire month but um they were (laughs) they needed that win it was good to see Thaddeus get that so since you went with the game winner I'll go with the game winner as well and I'll go with the road trip the game at Atlanta where Glenn Robinson III hits the game winner. And, you know, Glenn's dad, Big Dog, was in the stands, and we had a few shots of him during the game sitting not that far from the bench. But Glenn is someone who, coming off of the slam dunk contest, he had really um, had really grown into someone that everyone nationally knows about now. We know what a, what a great young talent he is and also what a tremendous person that he is. He's one of the best guys on the team and someone I enjoy talking to. And so... You know, much like Thad's a guy you, you you root for because of, you know, how basically just generally nice he is to the media. I mean, not to be perfectly honest, Glenn's the same way, and he's nice to really everyone that I've ever seen him come into contact with. So to see that play and the scramble opportunity, and then in that play to see uh, Paul and CJ work together, and they find an open Glenn Robinson third outside the arc, and he knocked it down. And a team that had struggled so much on the road to win games, and Atlanta was a playoff team, uh, that was quite a moment. It was great to talk to Glenn immediately after that. Unfortunately, that did not snowball into you know a long winning streak, and the, the Pacers continued after that to kind of win one, lose one, win two, lose two. Um, much that, or really at that point, they were on a win one, lose one streak. I think, or not long after that, for what sixteen games or something. But uh, Glenn's game winner. Great to see a great guy hit a shot like that on the road. That would be my my uh, one of my memorable moments. All right, so we'll move back to a lot of these happen, of course, in late moments in games. And I'm going to move back home here for a game that was in uh, early December. The Pacers trailed the Portland Trailblazers, and this came off of a long road trip, which I believe had the Trailblazers in it to start the road trip. The Pacers fell big in that road trip opening game. And then we're hosting the Trailblazers in their first game coming off of that. And they fell down 58-38 to with 8.37 left in the second quarter. Portland had 58 points with 8.37 left in the second quarter. The Pacers weren't getting any stops. And they looked in major trouble down 20 points. As we know in an NBA game, 20-point deficit in the second quarter isn't necessarily over. But they did have a stat in, in the Boston game I think I was watching where you tend to win like 90% of your games when you get a lead of around that in the first half. And the moment that sticks out to me is Paul George with, with the Pacers in a key scenario late. 
came up and he took a shot and he missed it. And the shot was around uh, the perimeter. Here it is. With 33 seconds left to go, the Pacers were up by three and trying to cement this. And George took a shot on the perimeter and he missed it. But he did a fantastic job of following his shot. He got to the basket. The ball's kind of loose in the lane. Miles Turner and uh, a big, I can't remember, for Portland were kind of battling for it. And this was a moment where George just wanted it more than anybody. He grabbed it out of both of their hands and dunked it. And while the game wasn't over, the Pacers were up five with 30 seconds to go. That was kind of a cap on a miraculous type of comeback. The Pacers outscored the Trailblazers 28-13 to in that fourth quarter and had one of their biggest and best comebacks of the season. And it was capped off by, personally, one of my three or four best highlights of the year. So one of the biggest plays in one of the biggest games, Paul George comes up with that offensive rebound and the dunk. And uh, that kind of sealed the game in what was a really much-needed win coming off of a rough road, tra- uh, road stretch. I'm going to go back to the road, and I guess I had a little more – I guess I had less uh, opportunity or me- memorable moments to pick from if I was sticking with road contests because there weren't as many uh, good road wins. One that will be honorable mention in this pick six uh, would be the win at Oklahoma City when the Pacers were – uh, basically decimated by injuries and really showed a lot of toughness. In second straight season, really, the Pacers had one of their best road wins was at OKC. So I'll leave that one off, though, in favor of the win at Sacramento. It was Nate McMillan's 500th victory. It came at a point in the season where, I think I referenced this earlier, that there were different times where we were just waiting to see the Pacers get that win that put them on a little bit of a winning streak or kind of got the ball rolling just a little bit. And and this road trip was one where I thought it was very important for the Pacers to find some success. And this game was at Sacramento at their uh, brand new Golden One Center. But this is a point in the season where Sacramento was starting to basically, uh, maybe they started the season where they thought they might be able to get the eighth seed. And, and they weren't really eliminated until late in the year, but they still had Boogie Cousins. And they were starting to falter a little bit. So they were 1-5 on a, on a seven-game homestand, I believe, entering this game against the Pacers. So they'd been struggling. It was a game the Pacers needed to win. It was a chance for Nate McMillan to get his 500th win. And of course, we all know what happens. They fall behind by 22 points in the first half. And it was one of those games that I just saw so many things that I just had to shake my head. And and then at halftime, uh, to start the third quarter, we got a classic Dan Burke interview when he compared the first half to uh, <laughs> Fan Jam. And, you know, that was one of our highlights of the Dan Burke, best of Dan Burke feature. Um, he was disappointed. He had no answers. He could not figure out why they did not have the intensity that they needed. But they started the third quarter strong, outscored the Kings 30-19 to in the third, and went on to win 106-100, to and just made so many key plays down the stretch. I thought Jeff Teague was huge um, in that second half, and he was close to a triple-double. He All season long, I thought he was going to maybe get a triple-double. Didn't have that, but uh, that come-from-behind win from down 22 in a situation that would have been a really bad loss turned into a really good win. That'll be one of my moments of the season. All right, so my final moment uh, is back here at home, and it came, let's see, was this in, uh, I believe, in March, mid-March? The Pacers host the Utah Jazz. And, it, of course, when you have a game like this, the Pacers with multiple players from Indianapolis or from Indiana, if you count uh, GR3, 
And the Jazz are like Indianapolis West with Gordon Hayward, uh, Trey Lyles, George Hill, and then uh, they they've also got you know some some Indiana influence there on well as well as Shelvin Mack who played at Butler. So there's so much local flavor in this game. So it's always fun when these two teams match up, especially how the Pacers have been constructed recently, and the Jazz seemingly adding more Indianapolis and Indiana influence as of late. Another one of these games, it seems like all these games are saying the Pacers really need it, but that's just kind of the way the season went. <laughs> right. uh, they had so many games where they really needed, and Hayward had a career-high 38 points in this game, and Paul George struggled for the majority of it. He finished with 19 points, but for majority of it was hitting around uh, around the 8, 10, 12 mark, and, uh, and Hayward had the better of this game for most of it. But as the game started to wind down, Paul George finished with his best stretch of play. He finished with the Pacers' final seven points. And the one moment that I remember from this game the most, it was also kind of the nail in the coffin moment. Gordon Hayward had led this big comeback. Then George Hill hits that three. And all of a sudden, it's a three-point game. And George isolates on Hayward. You know, the Indianapolis native versus the Indianapolis transplant. And George kind of sizes him up and hits a fadeaway jump shot on Hayward. And then we remember what he yelled into the crowd. I think he said, this is my city, or at least it appeared to be that that's what he said, yelling. And that moment had so many different storylines in play. Among those being a much-needed win that Indiana was able to take over a really good team in Utah who's still alive in the NBA playoffs. And George hitting that step back on Gordon Hayward for all those storylines and all the things that game meant. Uh, That'll be my final of our pick six. Quite a moment and really a fun game to watch and one that, you know, you play 82 games, sometimes games are just not memorable. And that's one I think we'll remember uh, for quite some time. My final moment, I'm going to go back to a home game, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, because this team was so successful at home, and it was really um, one of the one of the good moments towards the end of the season. And and it's a specific moment in that game, and I'm talking about the home game against Toronto with five to play, and the Pacers, I thought they needed to win four of their last five. Nate McMillan said they had to win out, and that proved to be accurate. They would not have made the playoffs if they would have lost any of those games. And a lot of people coming home just looked at records and matchups and said, well, the Pacers are home against Toronto and home against Milwaukee. They have yet to defeat either team this season. They have those games at uh, Philadelphia and Orlando. They'll probably win, win both of those, but they'll lose one of the home games. That was kind of, the I think, the common thought. I wasn't so sure about that, but I knew they needed to really play well in that game against Toronto, and it was Lance Stevenson's first game back. And I remember at after walk after finishing Pacers Live pregame, sometimes I stay up there until just prior to tip-off for a segment that we record right before tip-off. And sometimes I'm able to come down right at 7.01, and I can kind of observe a little bit of the pomp and circumstance of the starting lineups and get a good feeling and get into my seat. And I can remember specifically walking through the tunnel during the starting lineups. And Lance Stevenson was not in the starting lineup. But I just felt like the buzz was back. And and sometimes we maybe use too many times playoff-like atmosphere. I think it, it becomes a little cliche. And I have to catch myself sometimes after a big win in a, in a thrilling fourth quarter of asking a player if it felt like a playoff atmosphere. Because, you know, not... A, Every game is going to be really good in the final couple minutes, but you have to look at the entire game. Well, the thing I love about the playoffs is that from the opening tip, the crowd is engaged and the bu- the buzz is there the entire game. 
And I felt like walking into that building inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse, the Lance Returns game, I just felt the buzz. It felt like a gold-out game, a game against uh, the Heat. And then when Lance came into the game, it's remarkable what he was able to do to this team. And I even found myself... uh, Not to uh, get sidetracked on that moment, but that moment and that game and that win gave you some belief this team could make a playoff push, and I think Lance Stevenson deserves some credit for that. But, but Pat, how how crazy was it to hear some of the things that were said from Kevin Pritchard about Lance Stevenson as he summed up the season and looked into the future? Someone who late March was sitting on his couch playing video games. <laughs> I know it's it's really unbelievable, and I, I think I'm allowed to tease this. We've got player reviews that are coming out, and will be uh, one a day throughout Pacers.com. Follow us on uh, the social media media channels to watch those. Miles Turner, we let go yesterday. Kevin Serafin today, and we did talk with Lance, and he had a a pretty funny quote. I asked him about that. You know, he he, he had a good stretch in Memphis, but why is a guy who has bounced around so much so seemingly good? with the Pacers. And he said, I don't know, maybe, maybe putting on the Pacers uniform gives me superpowers. So uh, (laughs) that interview will be out at some time uh, in in its entirety. There's a little tease for it, but I I don't really know any other way to describe it either as, uh, as how Lance put it when we talked to him uh, recently. Yeah. Uh, So the, you know, it was a season uh, to, to pick those, those six moments. I think we could do it again and we could probably pick six more because Despite the season not going the way everyone wanted, uh, there were still some memorable moments. It's always, um, you know, I, I think I speak for you a little bit. It's great to have the job we do and get to see what we get to see and experience some of these moments. And while there are downtimes, there are uh, many moments worth remembering and, uh, you know, pretty much a great season. And I think that it's good moving forward to have Lance in the mix, guaranteed, under contract for next season. And I, I think that has the fans excited uh, as much as anything. No, I completely agree. And and having Lance hopefully going forward and you talk about Kevin Pritchard's value type contracts where the players don't feel like they're getting the short end of the stick, but the team's able to put other pieces around. Lance Stevenson on the contract that he is on is literally the definition of that for Indiana. I think he brings excitement. I know he brings excitement, both from the fan base and on the floor. And I, yeah, I, I want to echo your statements. You know, uh, it's 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 really an honor to be able to cover this team in the capacity that I do, and I know you agree with me here uh, in this in this regard. You know, uh, Mark Boyle has made this comment a lot on on radio shows and when he's asked, but um, this is this is obviously from the top down a really well run franchise, and not all are run you know anywhere near the level of where the paces are at. And I don't want to you know get into a huge thing as it relates to that but uh just very thankful to have finished year three here in this role and and from an on-air capacity uh the same is true for you and and an honor to get to show up to work every day at Banker's Life Fieldhouse I mean that's that's uh you know a a dream come true in its own right and and to be under the ownership and the management here at Pacer Sports and Entertainment uh I know personally I, I couldn't ask for more and I'm Guessing I'm uh, echoing your statements as well. Oh, absolutely. I hope that it comes across in, in our broadcast and even listening to this podcast how how much fun we have because this is you know this is not a job. And I know um, that was one of the things when I uh, was in college and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. I think one of the most important things I wanted to do, and I think you can make any any job 
you can make the best of that situation and not have that feeling that it is a job. But truly, um, and I'm not to even rub it into anyone, but I mean, this is a, a dream opportunity and we certainly enjoy it. And while there are moments where the team is not having success and maybe fans are frustrated, um, you know, we are we get frustrated with that, I think, a little bit, but not with anything that has to do with what we're able to do on a daily basis. And, and just looking uh, right now in my office at the the bobbleheads from this season. I mean, this was a special season. You know, now now that we've had a week and a half to think about it, um, there is a lot of change going on right now. And it'll be the final season with Larry Bird as president of basketball operations. But it was a fun year to look back on the history of this franchise and, and to see the players honored and to see those bobbleheads and to see the fans, I thought, really respond to the 50th season celebration you had a game against milwaukee in february that i think was a sellout in part because of the bobbleheads and because of paying tribute to uh, the stars of the 90s and i particularly enjoyed talking to some of the guys from the 70s and and to have at the end of the season is almost like george mcginnis bookended our 50th season by being honored early on I think he was honored uh, this season as well as being uh, part of his uh, on a hickory night and then was honored as a 70s, 70s night and then announced that he's going into the Hall of Fame. And so that just shows he's one of the true good guys of the franchise. And there were so many of them we were able to see and pay tribute to this season. And I think this could be the kind of season that is viewed as a positive step forward into the next 50. Yeah, I think uh, you echoed my sentiments as well. Thank you all, by the way. We're not we're not going away. We, we will be doing some of these podcasts throughout the summer, so this isn't like a goodbye. It's just a, we'll see you in a little bit and not even that long. Hopefully uh, we can find some time to to do these maybe monthly or, or a, a certainly more often once we hit draft time and once we hit off-season time. One thing I wanted to hit upon before we leave, uh, uh, basketball as it relates to the Pacers is over, but the fever season here is going to start on May 14th. And a quick story, I took my dad to the Pacers, uh, or sorry, the Fever playoff game uh, that they played in right at the end of last season in September. He had never been to a Fever game before, and and our guy, uh, John Weiss, who works for Fever Digital, hooked us up with some pretty good tickets, and he had never been to a Fever game before, but it was, you know, potentially Tamika's last game. It turned into Tamika's last game, and he said, hey, you know, I I would like to see her. He's My dad's a sports fan, goes to Colts games, goes to Pacers games all the time, but had never been to a Fever game. And so I said, all right, we'll get tickets. We'll go to, you know, go to a game, get dinner afterwards. And he, and he was so blown away by the level of play. You know, he, my dad played uh, high school basketball at a really high level, played in the final four one year with Fort Wayne Southside. He has many more basketball genes than I do. And he was really appreciative of the fundamentals and the high level of the game that's played. And so all of that is to say basketball is continuing here at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. We'll have coverage throughout the year of it, but feverbasketball.com, you really, if you have not gone before, you should give it a try because I think you will be ordering tickets multiple times throughout the year. Tamika Catchings obviously has moved on, but there are so many exciting players still a part of the franchise. Breon January, Pacers Fever bar none, is one of my favorite players to watch uh, in, in all of Indianapolis athletics, and she'll kind of be leading that team. So that's all to say, hey, I know the basketball's ending from an NBA standpoint, standpoint but the fever are starting up and we would love to have you in attendance here at bankers life Fieldhouse. and i know uh from time to time and hopefully this year you'll get to have a role in that as well yeah we're looking forward to following the fever and really if the pacers are a little bit of a team in in a transition phase i guess you could say that about the fever as well with the 
the Tamika era coming to an end and and new coach and and everything there is to look forward to. And so I think this is an important season to see um, what the team's able to do. And they're one of the most consistent teams in the WNBA in terms of being a regular playoff participant. And I think so that's once again the goal for this season. And and those playoff atmospheres, I had a chance to work some of those games as uh the substitute PA voice for Michael Grady. And uh, <laughs> I had about as much fun as I'd had doing anything last yeah. summer, just trying to get that crowd fired up and kind of scream to the top of my lungs while not sounding like I was screaming. I don't know if I succeeded in that, but uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was fun. And we look forward to more playoff games with the Fever. Feverbasketball.com is how you can order your tickets. They're going to start here at home on May 20th. All right, if we had one constant in this podcast throughout the season, we talk about talking for like a certain amount of time and then we end up going way over it. We're about 10 minutes over what we had originally discussed, but it was a lot of fun this season. We'll be continuing uh, in the off season, and, and thanks to all the fans who have come up to us, whether it was at the Fieldhouse or virtually uh, on Twitter or, or whatever medium, and said you listen because uh, we didn't really know what we were starting at the beginning of the season. We just said, you know, we've got you, we've got me, we've got an outlet that is potentially untapped and I had a really fun first season doing it we're going to be continuing it uh, but it was it was a joy to bring these to you weekly or so and then hopefully we'll be able to keep up the coverage here on a somewhat consistent basis during the offseason and this podcast goes all the way through without any breaks or interruptions but that said if there is any business or <laughs> a uh, sponsor that would like to attach their company to this podcast i'm sure we could fit in a few readers i know we're not high on the food chain in terms of uh top priority for the sponsorship department to uh, try to push out there but if anyone's interested it might make us look good as well so if you know anyone with the pacers or, or contact us and we could get you in touch with someone in sponsorship it might at least make us look good and may and, and let some other people know that don't know what we are doing so yeah uh, maybe next year we hope to come back bigger and better than ever and i enjoyed doing it and and hopefully maybe pat let's come on maybe in a week or two we could re Maybe we could set up the conference finals uh, because we uh, maybe spend a little bit of time in the Pacers. I'm not sure a lot's going to happen in the next couple of weeks from the blue and gold perspective, but you know we're watching, we're texting. We could probably just read our text chains from any particular night in around the NBA and and read those <laughs> and make a podcast out of that. But maybe a couple of weeks from now, we could do a little uh, East and West uh, conference preview podcast. All right, that's, that sounds good. Jeremiah, we will talk to you uh, here coming up shortly on the Sideline Guys podcast. And my derby pick, I'll put it out on Twitter oh, yeah, uh, yeah, later sorry. this weekend. But right now I'm going to go with McCracken. So McCracken, McCracken. is my, my, my derby pick. I've been following the workouts. He'll probably be about the second or third choice. So not a big long shot. The two long shots I like are Sonneteer and... Hence, hence is a medium long shot. So uh, if you're if you're going to uh, partake in any of the festivities surrounding the Derby or watch McCracken, hence Sonneteer. What other NBA podcast can you get? Not only a pick six as it relates to the NBA, but a pick three as it relates to the. That's a, that's a trifecta, Pat. Pick, trifecta. Uh, sorry, yeah. sorry. You got it. I mean, trifecta you get from I'm Grady after three pointers. Uh, so we'll go for the trifecta that race. Okay. If I was to give a pick three, I'd have to tell you the winners of the races surrounding the Derby, ah. and that's too complicated right now. So first, right. second, and third in the Derby, the trifecta. I'll work on my terminology and be better in the... Uh, and maybe we'll just do that of- playoff preview podcast before the Preakness, and we can try again. Hey, there we go. Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan. Thanks for listening to the Sideline Guys podcast. We'll be back with you soon.